This is episode 95 of OutlanderCast with Mary and Blake. All the way from Cranston, Rhode Island, welcome to OutlanderCast. It's a podcast dedicated to the show Outlander on Stars. Well, hello everybody. Welcome. Today I am your host, Blake Larson. I'm filling in for my darling wife, Mary. Uh, she has been taking care of my children uh, because they are sick and I have been sick because of my children. Uh, but today I am extremely, extremely like wow, honored to present to you an amazing conversation that I had with a uh, with a spectacular man. Uh, his name is Stephen McNutt, and you should know him because I fawned all over him for many a season <laughs> of Outlander and uh, spoken about him at length, about his cinematography uh, and the job that he has done for not only Outlander, but also Battlestar Galactica. And uh, it's a fantastic conversation, and I, I've likened it to uh, what I consider nerd porn, <laughs> pretty much, uh, which is basically uh, if you really love the ins and outs of filmmaking and what it uh, takes to be a cinematographer, what a cin- cinematographer does, how he works with the director of a television show, uh, and and so on, uh, then you are going to absolutely love this talk. So, without further ado, I present to you this amazing solo chat that I had with Steve McNutt. Joining us today is Stephen McNutt, a longtime cinematographer whose many credits include uh, all of the Battlestar Galactic series, um, uh, the TV shows and the TV movies, uh, uh, Caprica, Hellcats, Alcatraz, Person of Interest, Rewind, Helix, Backstrom. The list goes on and on. I could go on and on here, but we all know him as the cinematographer for our favorite show on television right now, Outlander. Steven, thank you so much for joining us on Outlander Cast today. Sure. How did you hear about Outlander? Did did Ron call you or did, what what was that process like? Uh well, I was working on another project and um uh, when they started Outlander. And so I was unable to be involved and I have a feeling he wasn't sure whether he could bring me across anyway at the time because it was a European uh, co-production and all of that. So I finished that project in Montreal and then uh, they just decided that they wanted to have me come along and uh, they wanted some stability in the process. The first the first season, they had a number of cameramen, a number of directors of photography. And so they felt that that was a little too um, 
oh, I don't know, what do you want to call it, uh, diverse or chaotic or whatever it is, uh, inconsistent or whatever, even though not the look, but just the, the vibe of everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, so they uh, run, uh, jumped at the chance to bring me across. We called me up and said, do you want to come? And I went, uh, the very, you know, the to be able to go to Scotland and, and has always been one of my uh, – one of my dreams and to be able to go there and do a show like that and get paid for it was pretty good. <laughs> so I've been a major fan of yours uh, since your days on BSG. And ah. what what's it what's it like uh, to be back with Ron after all your work together on, on that show? What uh, what's that what's that relationship like? Is there a great shorthand between you two so you know what you're doing? Yeah, basically well he trusts me and you know and uh, he tells me what he what what do we have a few talks about a various few things much less than what we talked about in uh, Battlestar but uh, in the beginning we were heavily involved in a lot of things there and now it's a little bit more I've done a lot of shows with Ron I did Caprica you know I mean, mm-hmm. a lot a lot of things with him maybe and, and we did the version and of course I said helix in Montreal so that, we've been working together on and off for quite a long time uh, yeah but this was this was a special one and I was really glad that he was uh, we have a, we have a really great relationship he's a great guy mm-hmm so for those of us who, who don't know exactly what you do, and there are a lot of us out there who, who don't necessarily understand the title, what does a director of photography do? And and what's the difference between a DP and, and just a regular director? Well, <laughs> director is the person who's in charge of the entire project. Uh, he or she, the scripts, they see the scenes, they see how they play. Uh, they see this place, the area that we choose, the areas that we're going to shoot in. They decide on how things are going to be blocked, usually how the characters are going to move and design the shot. So the director will also have in their minds what the pacing is, the, uh, the, the edit, and how it's going to play emotionally because, you know, depending on the scene, you can make the emotion higher or lower depending on the pace that you deal with. Uh, the cinematographer, the director of photography is a person who works closely with the director and um, basically um, is involved with working with the director and, and picking locations, designing where, the, where, where we should be, at least directions for light, and mostly the lighting of the show, mm-hmm. uh, the look of the project. A total support of the director helps them uh, figure out how to get it done efficiently and hopefully supports their ideas and uh, and basically does the lighting in the show. Right. So how do you achieve that look with the different light? Is it just like just different cameras that I mean, lights that come in or is it do you have to work at specific times to achieve certain looks? Like I know you say you work on, on lighting, but like what goes into that um, and how do you design that? You'll always try to pick a certain time of day if you can when you're working exterior. Mm hmm. Uh, but yes, every location, every seat feels different. Uh, like, you know, in the room you're sitting there right now, I mean, it's pretty much a, a day lit uh, basement or whatever in room. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so if I was going to light that, I would bring a source probably in from the outside mm-hmm. and then I would come into the room and then that would fill it up. And then I would bring in smaller sources or whatever to accent you if I want to, and, and to create, uh, a, a balance and a shape to your room. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that that's and, and everything is everything in a situation like uh, Scotland. You you in that time period, you only had you know day uh, uh, daylight, uh, moonlight, and fire. So what are the challenges that you're you're facing on on Outlander to get the to get the shots that you desire most? Well, I think basically uh, it's time. 
Mm -hmm. uh, you can't often uh, decide on where you want to be. Like in uh, a lot of motion pictures, you uh, like look at the Revenant. Now, the Revenant, they pretty much chose. They had to cho choose the proper time of day and, and the proper light in order for them to shoot. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't know how much they stopped working or went away and did something else or called it a day, uh, but we can't afford to do that on a television show. Mm -hmm. So you pretty much uh, th that's a big challenge is the is the uh, the, the light itself. If you start with a cloudy day and all of a sudden the sun comes out, it really changes the texture of the show and it's all intercutting and it makes it, you know, makes it feel a lot different. Uh, the weather obviously is a problem because of it's, it's just very, very erratic over there mm -hmm. and uh, which is the part of, of Scotland. But uh, I think it's just pretty much trying to work the schedules out mm -hmm. and getting, getting there and getting all the stuff to create that world with such um, – you know, uh, you know, precision. Yep. So, and they do a great job. So, what what does a typical day in the life of Steve McNutt look like in in Outlander? Well, uh, it depends, obviously, uh, it, but uh, usually it's quite early in the morning. And uh, you know, if we go out on a location, I have a driver pick me up and uh, pick. I go with the director, and we travel in the darkness or whatever toward where we're heading, and uh, we just chat in the morning about what we're going to do during the day. Try to rethink some of the things we've talked about before when we scouted the locations and when we get there uh we have a little bit of breakfast and sit in the ad truck and and uh wonder when the sun's going to come up bright enough for us to start shooting and uh and then we get everybody together in a crazy ball and and we start rehearsing and uh, of course sam and uh cat are always there and everybody's always there on time and um they're uh, rare and to go, so it makes that makes it a lot easier. And uh, we work it out, and it becomes the scene. You know, it starts from nothing. They read the papers. They read the scene. It's usually let's read the words. They all stand in a circle. They just read the words of the scene, and just kind of get it warmed up. And then they say, "Okay, well let's let's start putting this thing together again here now." And Sam, you might want to come on start over here. And and Cat, well, she says, "Well, I might want to do this or what do you think?" And they start discussing uh, the flow of the scene, how it influences the way they play a scene because i don't know how they do it but <laughs> they do a good job mm -hmm. and and uh in terms of acting the uh and so then we then it just starts coming alive we bring the cameras out we look through an eyepiece or whatever uh and we uh, through a, a a director's viewfinder or through a, a digital uh I, iphone uh, uh viewfinder we start looking at what we want to do and how we're going to lay track are we going to do uh, we, if we're going to use a crane we already know that so that's probably in place. It just depends. And so it, it grows like that, mm -hmm. you know, and then next thing you know, it's uh, you're, you're rolling sound and you're rolling camera and uh, we start making the show. Is, is there an established look of the show that you have to adhere to? Or like I know for BSG, you did a lot of like gritty. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it felt almost granular for this show. It feels a little bit cleaner. Is 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 that because that's what Ron wants or is that are you allowed to do your own artistic license when you're designing your shots? Uh, well, Battlestar was a whole different ball game. That was kind of like a, a, the, one of the very first digital shows, mm -hmm. and uh, pretty much no one really knew what to expect with it. And uh, it was always, at that point, pretty pretty ugly looking in a lot of ways. So, <laughs> um, I, I, the reason, one of the reasons why 
Ron didn't care. He wanted it to be gritty. He wanted it to be handheld. He wanted it to be really, really, the word I came up with, just snotty. That's what he wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. So uh, I just jumped off the bridge with that and pushed the envelope on that camera to the point where you couldn't push it anymore without it falling apart. <laughs> and and that that gave us the look of Battlestar. This show, is uh, it's got a look, yes. It's, it's uh, It was established in the first season. Uh, but, I mean, it is a look that it is. It is look, it's not about dirtiness visually it's about just atmosphere Mm -hmm. and most cinematography the difficult thing about being a cinematographer is to create an atmosphere that you really believe is real and so you really feel like you're in that place uh and and that's that's difficult that sometimes you have to use smoke to do that sometimes use filters sometimes you just use in lighting obviously uh, but there's a lot of ways to create uh, but of course, the, the sets, the wardrobe, and everything comes into play there. If you, if you don't got, if you don't have that together, if you don't have your art department, and your costume department together, you're already halfway uh, on the on, in the in the toilet. <laughs> so you, you mentioned uh, using filters. Is that li- literally like a filter, like a like an Instagram filter? Let, let's just say, like you you put it on the camera and you shoot. Yeah, we have a but there's a lot of filters. We've used filters in this business for years and years. Mm-hmm. Um, used to be able to use we used to use like 85s, which were warm things. If you wanna if you wanna color correct for daylight to a to a tungsten film, you put an 85 filter on. You would you would change. You know you, you could put grad filters, all kinds of different filters because those are the days you couldn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Now it's pretty much diffusion and ND filters that we use. Uh, so we have because you know the, the so the digital media is, is quite sharp, and um, and, and, and in a lot of ways, uh, you know, it doesn't have a real uh, round feeling. Film had a rounder feeling, mm-hmm. uh, but so we and there's a number of different kinds of filtration. I've designed my own filtration. We use we use a, a, a glimmer glass mostly on the show, and every once in a while, I'd use my own combination filters depending on how I felt. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, the, the look of the film, the look of the show, is pretty much what it is, and we adhere to the, to the blue tones from the exterior, uh, the cyan blues coming in the windows, and the you know, and the warm fires, and all that. And then they and they pretty much, uh, I think Ron pretty much wanted to get into more of a desaturated look when we got to uh, the forties um, or fifties or sixties, for that matter, and. Uh, we, uh, I wish I'm a, fi- I'm a big fan of anyway. I like hand, hand painted black and white. Mm-hmm. And so that worked pretty well for me, uh, in, in the, uh, stuff in the forties that we were shooting in season two. That that's actually a great, uh, like segue into my next question, which is we talked with Anna Forster, uh, about, a, about a year and a half ago or so. And, you know, she's the longtime DP for Roland Emmerich and she mm-hmm. directed, you know, a number of episodes for Outlander. But mm-hmm. she said something that was really cool. She said that she mentioned that one of her favorite shots is both Frank and Claire running up to the stones in that episode of Both Sides Now. And she loved right. it because the coloring was done in camera. Uh, right. And went from that that drowned out to that beautiful, bright color. Could you shed a little light on what that means for the viewer and how it affects your work? I'm not sure. What, what does she say? That it's done in camera? Yeah, she said that the, all, the, all the effects and the coloring was done in camera. Well, I don't know how she did that. <laughs> uh, I, I, on Battlestar, all the coloring was done in the camera. Okay. Everything in Battlestar was done by me on the day at the moment. 
and uh, you couldn't really change it. But that was because we had a different kind of a system, and we didn't we didn't have the log or raw or however you're shooting at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas everything that you photograph in today's digital world is pretty much captured in a raw, unaffected way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. If you're going to, it's very, very difficult to capture something in camera Mm -hmm. uh, because everything you're shooting, no matter what you do, is a manipulation on top of it. Uh, It's a layer. So if I have, well, we, and we work with a a thing called LiveGrade, which is a color correction software on the set, which allows us to emulate the look that we're looking for in post production so that when we get to post production, they will have a reference point of what we want it to look like. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have no idea how they, what they did, and I don't know why they would do it that way. Uh, and 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 I, I don't remember the scene. I remember that was the very first time they ran up there, right? The very first time that right. when they were looking up, looking at the at the fairies dancing around. Uh, no, the the first time was uh, well. Now, it's not, I'm sorry. This was like at the almost halfway point of the season 1A finale where she's running up to the stones and she's in the 1700s. Frank is about to leave Scotland and he's running up to the stones to see if, if she's there or find anything of her. And they both kind of hear each other, but don't. And then they, and then she gets captured by the British. Right. So, okay. yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I have no idea what she's talking about there. I'd have to really look at that sequence again because I just don't, the, the way things are photographed nowadays, uh, it's pretty difficult to make changes that are burnt in because they're not burnt in. Yep. So you, know? you you've mentioned there might be exposure. You might you could you could do exposure in the camera. Okay. Maybe yeah. that maybe that was it. Maybe that was it because it went from this beautiful yeah you can color. do that in camera. Yeah. Maybe that was it. Um, you know, I I from what I gather, I I'm it feels like Outlander is shot digitally. Is that correct? Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. So. For a lot of people that don't know, can you talk about the debate? Well, it's really not much of a debate anymore, but can you talk about the the back and forth between digital and film shooting and what do you prefer working with? Well, I don't, I don't really think there's a debate anymore. Um, I think that uh, the digital medium is a, is a very viable medium. <clears throat> uh, I love film. Everybody, you know, it's great, but... You know, it's and there's great things about it. We, if you have the ability, like Christopher Nolan, to go out with the with the with the, with the uh, seventy millimeter camera and you'd go out and and shoot this stuff and spend five million dollars on a on a on a color correction DI and all of those kind of things, mm-hmm. film would be great. Uh, but we we found a medium that is actually suited to the speed at which we have to work because. In this medium, we're able to pretty much see very close to what it is we want to get while we're sitting on the set, through looking through a monitor that's been processed through a, uh, a color correction software program, and that we can actually see pretty much where it's what it's, what we want it to be. Uh, and in film, that's where it, it, it was tough because you had you use your meters, uh, where now we use waveforms, and lots of times right now you just use your eye, mm-hmm. uh, which did they didn't film as well, but still in in film you had to use your meters, you had to judge the shadows, you had to judge all of these things that um, <clears throat> you had. It took years of learning to be able to uh, to be able to actually. Uh, know what your dailies are going to look like the next day. And I, I defy anybody to not be surprised 
the next day went, oh, that looked be- that looked pretty good. Huh. <laughs> I had a little bit too much light over there. I thought that was right, but uh, damn, too bad. And of course, there were there's a few power windows back then. Uh, but but uh, in this medium, it's that's why cinematography is so much better now in a lot of ways in television in particular is because the learning curve is so short. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's you know if you have a talent and have a good eye, you can you can develop that eye in a very short period of time. Mm-hmm. Where in film it took a lot longer. I don't know if that's just answer your question, but to me, there's no debate at all. I, I much prefer shooting the digital uh, world in what I'm doing. It makes my world so much easier. The days are harder as it is, and you know you can. And when you go home, you know what you got, and you pretty much uh, you know and know how you're going to talk to your colorist. Right. I mean, I already know that if I can't bring that wall down because I just don't have the time to to bring the shape to shadow it. I say, okay, make a mark on this thing. When we in post, we'll put a power window up there, and I'll just shade that around there because I can do that there. Yep. And so you, you, it, it's 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 an incredible media. That's what I've been just doing. By the time you call me, I'm I'm downloading some stuff for Outlander for my reel, which I haven't got it on my reel, my demo reel, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just doing that now. And so I'm you know, I'm running it through the Resolve system and. You know, I'm just shaping things up, you know, and see how, see how it, it works. It's a, it's a great tool. I, I'm always fascinated by the conversation between film and digital. And, uh, and it's great to know that Outlander is shot on digital. Uh, but I watched this great documentary by Keanu Reeves. I'm not sure if you've seen it. The one uh, called Side by Side. And it has that debate between film and, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and, and digital. And, and there was this great part where uh, I forget who it was. I think it might have been Wally Pfister. He was saying how, you know, he's always nervous when he gets the dailies in. And I and I heard you say that yeah. word dailies as well, uh, because you just don't know what's coming. So could you explain that term dailies for us and, and what that means? OK, well, uh, dailies are all the footage that you shot the day before. Mm-hmm. Imagine, if you will, you're looking at the set. You have your meters out. You turn your lights on. You meter their face, you meter the shadows, you uh, judge a lot of stuff by eye and you, you know, you, and you have a monitor that you're looking at. Uh, but most of the time the monitor is pretty bad. I mean, you know, at least in my day it was pretty bad. So you didn't have that uh, incredible crispness that the HD does. So you're looking at it and a lot of it is, um, you know, feel and not knowledge. So like I and the, what dailies are are the is the footage that you shot the day before. Mm-hmm. That's what they call them dailies. So tomorrow morning we or what we would always do is we would get our dailies in the daytime, and uh, we'd also have a report and if something was good, something was bad, uh, or whatever. And then in the evening uh, we would go if we were out on location, we'd go into a, a place and we'd sit and watch dailies as a crew. And we all, you know, we just watch it. it. Was great. So, but like I say, you you go on to you go on to a set. And you think you're doing the right thing. Of course, you've got so many things you're thinking about. You're thinking about ratios. You're thinking about ASAs, the speed of the camera, NDs. You have have to re- decrease your meter in order to balance with all of these things. So you're you're actually working within the right parameters. And uh, and lots of times when you uh, you expose things, you do it intuitively, and you go. Well, I sure hope that turned out all right. <laughs> and then tomorrow morning or whatever, you look at your dailies and you see uh, that turned out well or, shoot, I shouldn't have done that. Mm-hmm. that and that's basically what it is. So, so now that digital has start, actually has pretty much overtaken film, except for, you know, like J.J. Abrams and Christopher Nolan, who you already mentioned. Right. Uh, how has your role as the DP 
evolved. It, it, I know you said it's, it's made it easier, but so but you don't have to worry about those dailies and you don't have to worry about like, oh my God, I hope I didn't screw that up. Right. It, it, it's You said you can make it changes on the fly. What else has evolved for your role as a DP? Well, there's a lot of things. Um, I think the discipline has been shifted in, in, a, in, a, in a bad way. Uh, I think that uh, because we see what we do and because everybody uh, everybody has an opinion, sometimes that can become a problem. But most of the time I don't have that problem. But every once in a while, you know, you, you'll somebody will in the upper echelon will start making a point of, well, wait a minute, look at that thing. What's that all about? You know, and so you sometimes that is a problem. Uh, the, the set discipline. Uh, sometimes becomes a little bit more chaotic than you want it to be because they don't uh, they don't rehearse sometimes in in the same way. Uh, the rules in the in film was that you re, you rehearse it, you light it, you rehearse it again, you make adjustments to the light, and then you shoot it. Now we rehearse it, we light it, and we shoot it, and they skip that secondary tweet because nothing's ever stays the same and the actor will be in one place and then they'll be shifted over here. So you go, well, wait a minute. I, if you want her to look good, I'm going to have to get over here. Do you want me or, or whatever you have to, you have to maybe make an adjustment. And, uh, sometimes they skip that. And so that, that's becomes a little bit of an issue because it becomes crazy sometimes mm -hmm. crazy on the set. But other than that, uh, the job's pretty much the same. It's not, it's only easier in the sense that, you don't have to climb inside a car upside down to get a meter reading on someone's face when <laughs> you can actually look at your waveform monitor and come from the comfortable uh, position of behind the monitor and to say, Hey, that's good. Yep. Or take that down 10 points. Yep. You know, so that's basically it's, 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 a, it's, it's, it's better. It, it, so it, you have those conversations with the director, obviously, like, hey, I know this is going to work. He doesn't necessarily have to, you know, hash, you know, in quotes, trust you uh, the way that he would with the film, I imagine. Now it, it's all just it's just right in front of you. So that's right. So what yeah. what happens when the director says that looks like crap and you disagree with him? <laughs> what does that relationship I, work? I, like? I don't. Luckily, I haven't had anybody say that. OK. Uh, that it looks like crap. I've had people say that looks too dark or that's too, but this, can you take this tone? Then you start saying, well, wait a minute. You, they, that's only, I mean, I've only had a couple people ever say that. And a lot of times they say it while you're lighting mm -hmm. before you're done. And then you just say, well, just sit down for a little minute and we'll, we'll, uh, I'll show you what it's going to look like. Uh, but that, that not, Obviously, it can be a problem if they don't like it. What do you do? I mean, mm -hmm. you know, you say if someone says, I really hate that. I don't, I don't like that at all. OK, well. Tough. You know, <laughs> there's not much I can do about it now. I, I, I just haven't had that problem. Thank God. Uh, I've had, you know, discussions on tone mm -hmm. and, uh, and and we want to because, again, you, you don't have enough time sometimes. So someone stands in the back room and suddenly they make a move during rehearsal that we didn't have after we were ready to shoot, go right ahead and shoot. And then that person stands in the wrong place and they're shadowed. And so someone's standing in front of them, what they weren't standing in front of them. And sometimes they got to move just a few inches to get out of that light. And it's a very difficult thing when you have numbers of people and you say, okay, well, they might lean over and say, Hey, Steve, don't you think, don't you think Charlie over there is a little dark? 
Uh, yeah, I do. But we never thought we never rehearsed it again. <laughs> um, we're just shooting. That's there. Therein lies part of the rub. We we'll rehearse it, we light it, we shoot it, and no, no, there's no, there's no adjustments. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of stuff does happen. But for the most part, directors know who they're hiring, uh, and, and and the producers know who they're hiring. If you hire a guy to do or a gal to do, uh, uh, to do is to be the director of photography on the series, most likely they've got a history of being able to do the job. Mm -hmm. So there's not too much trouble there. And then the directors that come in, they're guests, so they can't say too much. But if you're gonna, if if directors gonna hire a DP, usually they know enough about them to say, okay, I think this is okay, I'll, and then you don't have that issue. I, I just don't, you know, I've seen it, I've seen it happen in film, and that's because you can't see anything. But what's that process like of getting to know that director? Like I know you've worked um, with 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 different directors on the show, and is it is it a different shorthand between you two? Is it is it like just a get to know process, or you you're just in it, and that's that's the end of it? Well, it depends. Most of the time, it's more a little more tenuous because, especially because you don't they, you don't know them, right? And uh, when they, when they're new to you and you're new to them, they don't. Well, most directors, in my opinion, tend to be a little distrustful. Um, and so, especially when you're on a show that they're not, they're just a guest on. So you you come in and. Um, work with them and they, they feel a little distrustful, but after you work with them two or three times, suddenly, you know, you'd be friends. Like this happened the other day. I did a day's worth of work, uh, uh, with a director that I knew, uh, I used to do some, uh, uh, for a little one day's worth of work for, uh, on a show called a good doctor. Mm -hmm. And, uh, just in one day, and I was a director that I, I knew from, from a show called dirt gently who I, what I just finished. And, and, uh, you know, so suddenly, here I am on a show that I don't know anything about with a director that he doesn't know anything about it. <laughs> and I walk in there, I'm there, he's there. We look at each other, we smile and we say, let's go, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, I, I've suggested shots. I suggested maybe we should pick up this pickup. Thank you. Thank you. That's great. There's no questions anymore. It's you, you're not, you know, you're not there to sabotage anything. All you do is try to do the best job you can to make their job, their show as good as possible because they're going to get credit for everything. Mm -hmm. And that's the way it should be. So you, you the walk, I, I can't imagine it's like this on Outlander, but you just, let's just say your first episode that you did, I think it might've been 201, was it? I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. You just walked on set and there's the director and that's it. And oh no, we had, we had five weeks of prep. Oh, okay, good. All right. Oh yeah. No, we, we drank a lot of beers and went to a lot of dinners. <laughs> uh, so yeah, no, by the time we got there. Uh, it's still the same problem that even with, with that particular director who I think is very, very, very talented, uh, there was a little distrust in the beginning because again, he's, it's a British, they're British. They have a little different type of working ethic. They work very closely with the operators mm -hmm. and the director of photography is usually the lighting cameraman. Uh, well that's, I come from the United States and, uh, and our history is that we, as directors of photography are involved in both sides of that coin. Mm -hmm. uh, we choose what with, with collaboration, uh, what, where we use cranes, uh, what lenses we might use, how we might want to cover this thing. Uh, and that was a little bit of a rub in the British system with me. And I think most, I think most uh, uh, North American cinematographers, cinematographers have a little bit of an issue with that because suddenly, 
uh, you're there and the, the director's talking to the operator about the, the, the design of the shot. And uh, that I wasn't really quite prepared for. And, and, uh, and I think I found a compromise with them toward the end. I mean, I just brought the operators in and then we all worked on it together, but I didn't want to step on anybody's toes, but that that's part of the system. I don't like that system very much, mm-hmm. but so, it, it, you know, that's so there with, with, with Metin, uh, uh, Hussein, who great guy, uh, you know, we got along famously and, and, uh, I think the shows turned out great. Mm-hmm. So normally it, 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 the director goes to you and you go to the camera operators in like the North well, American system? Yes, yes and no. But that, that's the part of the reason why sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, uh, depending on the speed at which you're working. We are doing television and you say, okay, well, listen, I don't mind. Let's just talk about the blocking. Let's talk about what kind of coverage we're going to get. Let's talk to the operators. Okay, we're gonna, we'll start with a long slide across this room. And then what we're going to do is we're going to pop in there we're gonna, and then we'll do another little shot over here and over here. Okay, is everybody happy with that? And everybody was happy. Then I let the directors just say, go ahead, just talk to the operators. You guys just fine tune it. I'll, I got to do all this lighting in the, in the manager of time. So it's a kind of a combination with me, which I, I find to be useful. Uh, their system in, in the end, or, or at least what they have done in the past, is just, there's, there's just two different departments. Mm-hmm. So it's it's. Uh, but other than that, it worked out great, and uh, well, it just worked out great anyway. I had a great <laughs> time, and uh, I, I actually I'm just looking at 201 right now uh, in the in the whole when when Frank comes and finds her in the hospital room, and then they go back to Scotland and you know get off on that weird plane in New York. <laughs> All that stuff, you know. So yeah, I'm just I'm in the middle of that right now. So so to get that, like you just brought up that that one look, and there it goes to the hospital. It's very desaturated, and then obviously yeah. you compare that to Scotland, and that yeah. it's it's super vibrant, wicked bright. Is right. that 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 is that filter work, or is that just is that post production like uh, digitally enhancing things? Well, I think it's probably a combination of both, depending on where you're at at the time. I mean, we shot it. Well, the, the, the desaturation stuff is all going to be done in post-production. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though we'll do it on set through the live grade system. So while we're shooting it, we're designing pretty much the look of it. Uh, but again, like I say, it's just an illusion because underneath that layer of, of image is the actual raw untreated image that, is given which you have the latitude to, to turn it from night into day sometimes, you know, because it's like uh, that's just the way that the, 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 that the system works now. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that, yes, we did that. We went so when we're lighting and when I'm working on it, I'm looking at those textures and I'm using those textures. And like a Battlestar, I would actually saturate, I'd, I'd saturate uh, colors and, and, and faces and clothing and, and, and other things in, you know, in, in, in a thing called a multi matrix. So you do that here in post-production with, you know, filters. And so, yes, on set, but mostly done ultimately in post-production and under the supervision mostly of the producers now. And so that's another thing where the, the cinematographers are starting to lose control of their work at times. Mm-hmm. So, and, uh, and then of course, Scotland, we shot it just normal. We didn't, we, 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 we you know, we, we color corrected it and we saturated. Sometimes we put it in a little bit more saturation. I would use, I always like to use certain kinds of filters at night and filters during the day. But again, any saturation or any vibrance or anything special, most of the time it's going to be happening in, in uh, post-production. Mm-hmm. 
So we we talked about uh, a pretty broad spectrum here for digital and and film and and filters and but I, I kind of want to get down to a more specific part for Outlander and good. to get a really good example for the listeners. Um, I know you did work on 302. So what are some of the things that viewers should keep an eye out for? And and let's just take 302 as, as an example. Like what what are some of the things that you directly influence? When it comes to an episode, what should they look out for to say, oh, that's Steve McNutt, that's the DP work, and he did an awesome job? What, 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 that, was three, that was last week, right? Uh, yes, it was. It, it was uh, Surrender. Surrender. And that's when the boy gets his hand cut off? Yes. Okay. Well, you know, again, it, most of the time it was the choosing the proper time of day. Uh, to to be able to get the uh, the feeling of when Jamie's in the woods with the bow and arrow and the boys running and and you know, we and we talked very heavily about the the pieces of him going through the water to build up a build up a little bit more of a time frame of of uh, of where he lives and I, I still think that that could have been a little bit more elaborate but uh, in terms of where he you know, suddenly he's uh, living in the, in the cave. I, I didn't get the sense of that myself, but mm-hmm. in any case, <laughs> um, that's basically what that was. Yeah. I mean, other than that, I, I mean, I really don't know, there's, there's, and there's just shot ideas, you know, there's just shot things that you could do. Like we, we didn't have any time, but it, it isn't, it isn't going to relate on me. I mean, the look of the show is the look of the show. Yeah. That, that's a different, different one, a little bit more difficult in some ways because the, 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 the season as it starts out is a little bit more, a uh, little bit more stayed, a little bit more uh, talky, a little bit more, not as, not as, not as traveling, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, uh, makes it more, I don't know. I like the, I like I like the mud. Myself. <laughs> but, um, in any case, uh, yeah, I, I uh, I'm just trying to think. One of my favorite things was the duke the uh, the kids in the beginning going and finding the gun hanging uh, up on the up in the thing. That that I felt very proud of uh, that whole sequence there when they come down and uh, from from Lollybrook and and uh, well, I got a really cool shot. I got this shot of Lollybrook, even though just off to the right. We couldn't see it with the camera, but just off the right, there was a full rainbow. It was very cool. Oh, cool. Yeah. And I, I took a picture of that, but you, we couldn't get it. We didn't have the right angle. <laughs> but um, that sequence, I thought I was very proud of. Most of the stuff there is, but it's a, again, it's a rehash of the same thing. I mean, for us as cinematographers, you go, okay, you've got fire. And, uh, and, I, and I enjoyed And also, I, I enjoyed... Uh, the Jamie holding the baby in the in the um, is this the same one? Yeah, Jamie holding the baby in the hallway when the the soldiers were in there looking around, uh, and I enjoyed that a lot mm-hmm. in terms of the look of it. Um, but other than that, I'm not sure anything was anything different. Mm-hmm. Anything other, I, I didn't consider it to f- photographically to be anything special at all. Okay, other than just you know looking nice. Do you do you have a, a favorite scene uh, or uh, of Outlander that you've done that you think was photographically significant? That when you think of Outlander, that's what you think of. Yeah, it was probably the uh, uh, the uh, hospital uh, where uh, Claire loses her baby, mm-hmm. and that whole uh, that whole section there, that whole um, what do you want to call it? Uh, time. 
of, of her in the hospital and grow, you know, and working there and then getting, then having the, going to the duel and then having a, the, the, the miscarriage and the, the blood and the whole thing. And the, I, 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 that whole, that whole section, that whole episode, I, I really, really liked a lot. And then when she comes home, all that stuff in the dark with, with, uh, you know, walking around and talking to what's his name, uh, you know, uh, uh, Fergus and, and then finding out that, I mean, that whole section, I just thought, was really stylized and really brought out the emotion of the show. In, in my opinion, that was probably, and then, and then of course that, yeah, the, the whole, what episode was that? Well, that, that wasn't 201, but that was the faith episode. I think that was 206. That's, yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah. Faith. That was faith. Yep. Yeah. That was a good one. I liked that one a lot. And I also liked, um, uh, 201 with the, when the whole thing of him coming in, I tried to make that as stylish as possible with the lights and the heat of the sun and him coming in to finding her in the bedroom and she's kind of all alone there. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I like the section when he walks up and sees and she's invited him into the room at night and, and uh, all of those all of those things I really, really like a lot. All the stuff at Wakefield's place. But, yeah, those, that, I don't, know if, I don't know if I'm answering the question at all, but I just – you know, I think most of the stuff looks pretty good. When you when you mentioned the word stylized, um, what do you, what do you necessarily mean by style? Just just a different kind of light that you're using, or uh, what what do you mean by that? Um. Yeah. Well, sometimes I don't even know what the word is because stylized in the Battle Star is really stylized, and this is just stylized because you're you're choosing particular angles that give sharp shadows and edges and mm-hmm. you know like when she's talking to Fergus and he starts saying I didn't know I didn't know he was going to go go and fight this guy I didn't know he was going to do it and she was and and she's leaning over and look the camera's looking right from the bed up to her and she's got these two beads of light in her eye and she goes what are you talking about what english gentleman of course it's always blackjack uh but it's it's uh it's uh you approach things a little bit more dip, different, differently, and and um, you just try to tell a story sometimes with like when, well, I, I didn't like what they did in post production. I'm changing that on my reel, but there was a sequence when and when um, Claire and or Cat and or yeah, Claire and Frank are talking in in the in the bedroom in the morning. They talked all night long. He gets up throws a fire, throws a log in the fire. He walks over to the window and I let that window be just really hot so that he'd walk over there and his face would just be just white. And, and, uh, and because it was in contrast to the flames at night is when they talked about it, that were in the, I, I always, I always put the flames as Scotland and daylight and tongue and, 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 and uh, artificial light as, um, the forties, the present day, mm-hmm. you know, so you could separate the two and then you could make one more dominant than the other, you know? And so I was trying to do that and, you know, and he walks up there, but what they did is a, what they call knead it down. I don't know why they did it. It really, when I saw it, I couldn't believe it, but <laughs> they just dulled it down to almost like a gray. So I mean, my reel, I just, I've looked at the material. I brought it up. It's just got this beautiful glow on it because it comes from this darkness and this morning light. That type of stuff is what I consider stylish. So okay, so uh, it, actually, you just brought something up that I, that I didn't even realize. You, you know, you designed a shot, and you just talked about that that window with it, it being really hot and having Frank's face just be white. 
Right. But then they changed it in post-production. So you don't have any say in, in what goes, uh, even though you designed the shot, you designed it specifically for the way that it's supposed to look. You don't have any say in how it eventually goes out to, out oh, to yeah. the public. Well, well, yes, yes and no. I mean, it all depends on what you're dealing with here. Yeah. Uh, it all depends. And, I, I, don't, I don't know if I really want to get into all that right now, but it all depends on uh, the subjects and the people who are looking at it and the people who are making decisions when you're not with them, even though you tell them not to do something, they uh, will have a discussion sometimes on their own and make a decision that they should do it because the producers want something or whatever. And that happens sometimes. Gotcha. Or it's just the taste that someone uh, of a colorist who simply can't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't know or he or she doesn't know what to leave it to you don't take it down to middle gray and 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 you know you that's why i say stay away from middle gray throw mm-hmm. away the dulling spray and and basically sometimes you, people are a little bit afraid to let it pop and let it be something that you go god that's that's pretty bright <laughs> <laughs> but it's but it's, it's perfect anyway yeah that, that kind of happened there and uh, once you, what, there's nothing you can really do about it. It doesn't matter because the average viewer doesn't get it, doesn't they feel it? It's it's almost there anyway. But it's the, those are the kind of things that what well, like I say we are having trouble with at this point in time. So. My, my my last question is um, as a BSG one, I have to get it in. Okay. Um, when you think of BSG, what's the one shot that comes to your mind? That one standout moment. Yeah. There are so many of them. I, I know. I know the one for me is is uh, when when Lee is the spoiler alert. Lee is there at the end, and he's looking out, saying he wants to just travel and go on with his life. And then right. and then and then Starbucks not there anymore. She's and, not there anymore. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, no, that, that's 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 good. Yeah, no, I like that shot too. Even though I have my own arguments about the ending of the show, as we all do. <laughs> Uh, but yes, that was a wonderful moment. And we gave everybody, there's a really eerie feeling about that. Mm-hmm. Very eerie after you got to know, uh, Starbucks so well and suddenly she's gone. And, and that, that was a pretty powerful moment. Um, in terms of shots, I just realized, I, I really don't even know. I, I can't even put it in. I don't know. <laughs> See, what's, the, what's the question again? What's that one shot that the one that you created in terms of lighting that with that, that stylized oh. look that you think of when you think of BSG? Well, one of the things I really, really liked uh, was when uh, Colonel Hogan was in, in, in a prisoner uh, on the uh, new Caprica or whatever it was uh, that that tent city they lived in. And he was just—he was—he had his eye was already cut out, and he was lying down on the ground, and it was extremely bright. The script read extremely bright, and so I threw a xenon light on him. And what was really great about the xenon light, this one particular light, flickered, and uh, it's not supposed to, but it did, because <laughs> they most—they're—they're—they're they're, very delicate. And so he's lying down there, and we and I shot it, and I just I really pretty much skip bleached it, and took the high contrast out, put the high contrast in, and took the color out, and it's just him lying down there, just as on the ground. That's that's one of my one of my favorite ones. Um, 
I like I like a lot of stuff in the Vipers. I don't know. It's they're all good. I, I don't really know. What, I have to really sit and think about that. <laughs> I liked I like the stuff in in the prisoner thing. You know when they had the uh, in the prisoners ship, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, Steve, I, I could I could sit and talk to you for hours about all of this. I really could. Uh, yeah. I'm I'm just a cinematography nerd, but I'm I'm gonna have to cut it short. I don't want to waste any more of your time. It's right. super exciting to uh, to talk to you again and and just nerd out about this stuff. Thank you so much for joining us, yep. and I'll hopefully we can talk again soon. Thanks, Blake. Steve McNutt, everybody. Wow, what an amazing conversation. Uh, straight nerd porn. Uh, really though, uh, just an amazing conversation and one that really. I find fascinating is this debate and in, in conversation. Well, I mean, really not a debate anymore. I mean, we kind of settled that in, in, in this interview, but uh, just this conversation uh, between digital filmmaking and, and regular filmmaking using actual film, uh, what both the pros and cons are and, and why certain people choose certain things. And I, it's, it's fascinating uh, how it has evolved and how some people have stuck with it. Uh, and why some people are just saying, no, we're abandoning film altogether. We're just going to go straight digital. And apparently, obviously, Steve is one of those guys that just really loves the the, the digital platform. And then also getting into uh, the conversations of what he has to do and what he had to do. And, and, and in that through line, the communication through line, uh, the struggles that he kind of finds between the European and American models of cinematography. Just amazing stuff. Uh Again, hours and hours and hours. I could just go on and on and on. <laughs> but I will spare you uh, my nerdiness and just focus on uh, how great Steve McNutt is. And uh, it was uh, an absolute honor and pleasure to speak with him. Uh, I told Steve straight to his face <laughs> that I've been a major fan of his since his days on Battlestar Galactica, uh, which is a show that you need to watch if you have not yet watched, uh, especially if you consider yourself an Outlander fan. Uh, you should watch it uh, because, again, as I as we talked about in the interview, it was run by Ron Moore, who is the showrunner for Outlander. And if you want to get to know Ron's writing more and Tony Graffia as well, and also we have uh, Bear McCreary, uh, who was the composer for uh, uh, Battlestar Galacta, who, too, is the composer for Outlander. So, it, it, essentially, Ron has recreated his little staff to create Outlander. So, please do go watch Battlestar Galactica. It is phenomenal. Uh, probably in my top five t- favorite television shows of all time. Uh, just spectacular. So, at any rate, I will come to a close on this amazing interview and this show. And, uh, God, I really don't want it to end. I could just keep going. I could keep going, but I won't. So why not just close it out while I'm ahead? You know, this is the second episode this season that I've had to do without my wife. And, you know, I know I'm not a very good host, but I'm getting used to it. I fe- I'm feeling better about all of this. <laughs> I feel better uh, at running, running the reins. Nowhere near as talented as my wife, but I try my best. At any rate, guys, what I want you to do, please, if you could, is go to outlandercast.com and check out all of our great podcast episodes that we've had, including interviews like this one that we just listened to, 
and also you can check out our blog there where it is written by bloggers from across the globe and edited by professional editors and it's it's an amazing experience in the newly redesigned outlandercast.com please go there and check it out another thing i would like you to do too is tell a friend that this show exists please um Everybody gets recommendations all the time. And, you know, every podcaster on this planet will tell you, oh, review me on iTunes and it helps grow the community. And yes, that it's it's true. It does help. But the most important thing I think you can do, in my opinion, in this humble podcaster's opinion, is tell a friend that this podcast exists or for any podcast. If you have a favorite one, please tell people that it exists. That is how shows and communities like ours that we've created here with Outlandercast grow. It grows by word of mouth. Like any movie you watch or any television show you watch, you always say, oh, dude, you got to watch this. It's a, You got to watch this show. It's amazing. Tell people that Outlander exists. Grow that community. You are just as responsible as we are in helping grow this Outlander world, this Outlander-verse. So please do so. One more thing I would like to mention, too, is... I am doing a chapter-by-chapter analysis of the first book of the Outlander series, Outlander. Yes, I am reading that book. I started to, although I will never compromise this podcast. I will always be in the dark as it relates to when the show is airing uh, for that particular series and that season. I'll never get ahead of the show. But as of right now, I am reading the first book. And if you'd like to hear my chapter-by-chapter analysis, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash outlandercast and becoming a patron of outlandercast for as little as two dollars a month or a cup of coffee a month and uh, you'd be able to hear my chapter by chapter analysis so that is it ladies and gentlemen thank you so much yet again for listening to this fantastic nerd porn interview oh god i loved it i oh god i love this one this might be my favorite interview that i've done Uh, fantastic. So, all right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. We'll chat soon.